and gentlemen, um, back for another edition of Journey to Success. And as you know, this is a program about uh, the journey that uh, people who are successful in the journey go through, but also who are actually hanging on to their faith. And today, I'm really excited and happy to have with me uh, Sister Lucia Lord, who uh, is uh, somebody that I met. Uh, actually came into my Hapkido class and um, she was sitting there talking to my um, instructor who is the most right wing <laughs> politically really kind of guy I've ever seen school. I thought who is he talking to this girl with the hijab and it turned out she was actually a martial arts expert um, who actually was there to teach him so Sister Lucia uh, thank you for coming in today Salam, thank you very much for having me on. <laughs> um, but yeah, with that experience, it was um, it was wonderful to, to come along and to watch the class as well. It's been a while, but I remember it well. <laughs> so, um, Sister so, 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 I mean, you're, um, uh, I was going to say, I mean, you're a, a trained martial artist and you have lots of other facets to your personality. But I was wondering, what's it like? What's it like growing up for you in the world households? <laughs> the Mahmoud household. Um, <laughs> Alhamdulillah, it's been um, a journey. Um, so, and I mean that in the best possible sense. So, I've had, I was very, very lucky and very blessed um, to have a very supportive family. Um, we've gone through a lot of highs and lows, of course, just like any family does. But we've always, Alhamdulillah, stuck together. May Allah always keep it that way. So, um, I have obviously uh, my my parents, my mom and dad. And I also have um, an older sister and an older brother. And now my sister, she's um, living in England and she's married with two very wonderful uh, little girls, my beautiful little nieces. So Alhamdulillah, the, the Mahmoud family is expanding and um, getting along well. Okay, so I'm going to ask you, when you're uh, a young Asian girl who is doing martial arts, I believe they have but that's actually quite unusual. So how did you get into uh, the world of martial arts? Um, to be honest, it's, uh, I was never quite sure what started it off. I mean, I always thought it was maybe because of my dad. So long story short, my dad was an army man. And uh, when he, when we were very, very young, um, he decided he wanted to put us into martial arts classes. And especially for me and my sister being girls, uh, and he knew that growing up, he wanted us to have some form of uh, basic knowledge of self-defense. Um, so he put us into ninjutsu classes. And that's where... Ninjutsu is like a Japanese art, is it? Yes, it's a Japanese art. So it's that very stereotypical image of a ninja, you know. A ninja, So the art itself is known as ninjutsu. And um, there's like a the school of it, it's called the Bujinkin. So I was a member of that. And um, that's where I started. I mean, I was tiny at the time. Um, but I just found it something so incredibly fun, especially when you're a child. But I think what honestly might have triggered my later passion was an experience that happened when I was very small and I must have been about two or three years old and I still remember this memory so clearly that it's probably one of my first ones that mm -hmm. I can recall um long story short again um it was basically me waking up in the middle of the night because I heard some noise and I walked into the living room to see my mom standing there um covered in blood unfortunately with two police officers with her and I still remember, I just, all I knew was, uh, so basically she'd gone out to get groceries while we were asleep and she'd been attacked on the street. And I just remember, I must have been two or three, 
And you know, and you're an innocent little child, but yeah. you still understand somebody hurt mum. Was that a racist uh, I believe it was. Yeah. And I still remember they used to have this tight this little TV with this uh, ornament on top of it that held perfume inside of it. it looked like a crown. By how much detail I remember. And I looked at it with my little fists clenched, thinking, I'm going to grow up to be big and strong and I'm going to protect mum. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that maybe subconsciously kind of made me go on to become what I did, but I did grow up being the so-called quotation marks tomboy. Whatever my brother did, I had to do and do better. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> martial arts became um, a form of self-expression for me. And later, it, its importance in my life developed into something more mature as opposed yes. to just protecting myself. Sure. After many people who go to martial arts say that, that they're somewhat vapid that, that propels them forward into, into doing that. Um, I was going to say, you know, obviously you did ninjutsu, and, and I believe you did lots of other martial arts as well. Uh-huh. Um, so, again, I'll try and keep a long story short, but it's very <laughs> difficult for me to do. Try on, try on. I was very blessed to find a teacher um, who, Master Thomas Clark, and he was one of the first wave of martial artists within the UK. And he had about, he's got, well, by now he's got over 50 years of experience under his belt alone. And he took me on as his apprentice. And it's nowadays it's rare enough to find a, a master who takes on a, an apprentice, let alone a, a, a female Muslim apprentice, which, because he very much respected my boundaries as a Muslim woman as well. So we started off with learning my one of my main arts at the moment, which is a Korean sword art called Haidong Gumdo. Just Haidong Gumdo. And um, we ended up practicing several other arts together as well, and that includes um, Shingi, Baguazhang. We practiced uh, some Aikido. We've done uh, we practiced techniques such as Fajin, Jinna, um, Gichin, Qigong. Um, but I'd also had, before I'd met him, I'd also had experience in other martial arts, such as um, well, European fencing, um, did some karate as well, and a couple of others that I kind of dabbled around in until I found what it was that I really loved doing, and I realised that this is it, it's the weapons arts. It's the weapons so, arts, the sword fighting. Yeah, so I went on to specialise in weapons, so I do single sword wielding as, as well as twin wielding, uh, staff work, nunchaku. When you say, when you say twin wielding, what you're saying is you pick up two swords. I am a licensed. I am a peace loving person, believe it or not. Um, but yeah, I am licensed to do this and I'm very, very strict with weapons laws and weapons rules. Right. So even if it comes to transporting them to where I'm going, I'm very strict with how that's done. They have to be locked in, uh, in, a, in a container that's difficult to get into and it has to be in some kind of you know private transport right. and not something public, of course. Um, so that kind of stuff, I'm very... I'm very yeah, I, I can understand why somebody would want to learn an anti-hand art like karate or jiu-jitsu or something like that. But why would you... What, what, what do you learn from swordsmanship? And actually, especially in this day and age, you know, people don't really use swords. Uh-huh. So what, what do you learn from that? What do you get from That's that? That's one of the questions I get often about, you know, nowadays swords aren't used in modern warfare, so why use them? But see, this is the thing for me, the martial arts are exactly that. They're an art, they're a form of self-expression. Um, you, I'm, I'm what you would call a traditionalist in the arts. You know, it's not just about the physical aspect. There's so much more to that yeah. in martial art. And that includes the, the mental training, the spiritual training, the emotional and psychological training. When somebody starts a martial art that is taught to them as an art and not just a sport or a combat system, 
they find themselves maturing in, in an incredible way. And alhamdulillah, I'm very fortunate that that's one of the things that led me to become who I am. Um, and when you practice the sword arts, it encompasses a much deeper, much more spiritual root to it. So the sword art that I practice, it actually the, the kind of um, concept behind it is being taught how to defend yourself or to use the sword against multiple opponents as opposed to just one-on-one. -on -one. So whereas uh, a sword art, for example, like Kendo, you face an opponent one-to-one. -one. This one, it teaches you how to do it against multiple opponents because um, within in the older days on the battlefield, the more the chance would be you would be attacked from all different angles. And a sword art should be able to be applied empty-hand as well. You can still use the same movements and techniques empty-hand. Um, but more than anything, it's a form of self-expression. Just like for an artist, how they, they express themselves through their paintbrush or a calligrapher through their pen or a poet through their pen. For me, it's through my swords. It becomes a part of you, as cliche as that sounds. It's an extension of your arm, almost, or an extension of your soul. So when I'm training, I it's very meditative in the sense that... But I, I also incorporate my faith into this. I also bring my dean into that because... I do think back and about the hadith, about the stories that we read, about the battles we've heard about and all about the, the most wonderful of warriors. And when I read their stories, it brings tears to my eyes. Because what, what's influenced you in that sense and some of these nicer stories? Uh, uh, Who's been the biggest influence? Uh, well, of course, the biggest influence would obviously be the Prophet Muhammad sure, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Um, that just listening whenever... My, my sister and I would sometimes be up till 5am just like going over hadith and... I miss those times, <laughs> but we still we still do this. And but when you think about, for example, especially in terms of women, you've got Qala uh, bin Al Aswad. She was the sister of one of the most well-known commanders of the Rashidun army during the seventh century conquest, I believe. Um, and what basically happened was uh, she went on to the battlefield when her brother was um, taken captive and her skills were then put to the test and there she was hidden pretending to be a man so that nobody would recognise her covered from head to toe and this was the time when Khalid bin Walid you know, may Allah bless them uh, he was wondering who, the, who this amazing warrior was because she, she was just battling off um, several of these men you know just just um, tons and tons of at once um, and it, if I remember correctly one of the Sahabas actually said um, may Allah forgive me if I'm incorrect that she, uh, whoever this warrior is fights like Khalid but is not Khalid and when it was finally revealed who it was they found out she's a woman he actually allowed her to then lead the um, lead that regiment mm -hmm. on the next battle mm -hmm. and again and again um, she obviously went in to get her brother back to protect her brother because of her love for him of course but at the same time it shows you just how powerful a woman can be. And then um, you've got also Nusayba uh, bint al-Qab, who, again, another Sahabia, um, used her life and her sword skills to defend the Prophet, peace be upon him, during the Battle of Uhud. Mm -hmm. And when I think about those times, I just she was um, basically there to deliver water. And when she saw that the Meccan forces had come through and were now on their way to attack the Prophet, peace be upon him, and obviously the... Their soldiers were falling. She grabbed her sword and off she went. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, himself said, "Whenever wherever I looked, Nusayba was there mm -hmm. to defend me." She took over twelve wounds to her body and especially to her shoulder, I believe. Yeah. But after she healed up, she continued to help 
and future battles after that. And when I think about them, I just think, subhanAllah, that these were the true courageous warriors. It's not just about, um, it's, sorry, it's, it's not just about what we you know, teach in a class or what we say to the world. It's what truly comes out of us when the moment happens. And mm. for her, them, it was to protect what they loved the most, and it was the Prophet, peace be upon him. Um, I, I, mean, I guess what I was thinking was, this is not something, uh, these are not kind of role models that are specifically put forward to young girls these days. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the idea that I seem to get. Uh-huh. I don't know what you think about that. Definitely. Um, nowadays, especially when you've got social media all over mm. the place, uh, younger generations are more and more being, uh, I don't want to just call it brainwashed, but they are being mm-hmm. fed uh, illusions of what greatness is. but um, And a lot of it, unfortunately, it does come from very superficial means. But at the same time, when we um, when we speak to younger people, they, there is that want for knowledge. There is that kind of thirst for knowledge in there, but they're just not finding the sources. So I wouldn't just blame younger people themselves. It's just they need people to talk to them about these things. They need people to look up to. For example, rather than having magazines or whatever put in front of them with yeah. the same yeah. faces all the time, maybe yeah. bring up the story of, uh, the, of somebody who's done something great. Bring up the... The story of a, a female scientist or maybe you know of somebody who's gone and done some amazing charity work and it's not just based on their appearance for example yeah absolutely um, uh, I, uh, I, I recently have a friend who does uh, brazilian jiu-jitsu and uh, somebody phoned up uh, when i was actually doing a program on this radio and it was a young lady who wants to do brazilian jiu-jitsu and i remember there was a bit of um, you know, there was there's more confusion as to you know, how she would actually do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu because she didn't really want to spar and run around on the ground with the men. So, I mean, that was one issue that I felt came up for Muslim women specifically. Is that something that you've come across? And let's say if a girl uh-huh. comes in and says, Look, I want to do martial art, uh-huh. what would you advise her to do? Um, first of all, um, if when anyone asks me or says to me, I really want to do a martial art, what should I do? First and foremost, you need to have an idea of what it is you're looking for as a result of it. A lot of people go into it wanting maybe physical health, you know, or just like well, well-being and fitness. Somebody else might say, I just want to be able to learn basic self-defense to defend myself. Someone else will then say, I want it to be a part of my way of life. Mm-hmm. I want it to be something that a journey I go on and discover. And obviously, I will say that, yes, everybody can do any martial art they like, but there will be, and this is, a, this is a, a, just a general physical fact, there will be some that are more suited to certain physiques, for example, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try others. Mm-hmm. Um, you get your softer arts, which are, for example, like your internal Chinese martial arts, Tai Chi and such, and your Shingi, blah, blah, but you get your very external martial arts. Most people like that, I don't even martial arts what we're often referring to is the use of energy in a sense so when you're speaking about an internal one this incorporates more of the kind of spiritual aspect almost like the chi energy this kind of internal life source that we have um, and also that doesn't mean that it can't be explosive some of them are brutal i'll tell you this much I've got the business to prove it. <laughs> um, but when we speak about uh, external martial arts we're very much talking about ones that concentrate more such on like uh, joint locks and groundwork and things like that, okay. like a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Sure, sure. So, alhamdulillah, nowadays what you're actually finding is that there are more and more women catering, like, uh, sorry, classes catering to women. 
So for any sisters out there who are looking for martial arts classes, for example, within Glasgow, there are a few um, women's self-defence classes going, and um, I believe there's even some in the town centre. I think you can just like kind of Google that up as well. I can't remember them off the top of my head. Um, but if somebody is wanting, as a Muslim woman, obviously we know our own boundaries, but I will admit it can be very difficult because I would be in classes and I would be the only woman there. But a lot of these classes were not very kind of physical. There wasn't a lot of like uh, yeah. grapples and such, yeah. for example. Yeah. Um, and those ones that would be, you know, you would train with a woman in that class. So it'd be like that with the women be put together. Yeah. And I know for a lot of people, the argument there is yes, but then you don't get to experience the real application That's because right. the chances you'll get attacked by a man maybe yeah. on the street. But this is where how the teacher uh, explains everything comes in when you get shown things, how you get taught it. And of course, application is important, but when you are also compromising, not compromising, but um, balancing, sorry, your own deem with that as well, there are certain restrictions you put there. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's like maybe even practicing then with either your mahram or then practicing with other women, um, and trust me, there's like women out there, I can guarantee you this, that are have so much more strength and stamina than some of the, the men I've seen. <laughs> it's, it's not as tough as you think. When you see them, you're like, subhanAllah. Um, but it's one of those things where you do need to bring a balance to it. And yes, you do make a compromise. Um, so when I was younger, for example, I did get to train a bit with my brother, for example. Mm-hmm. But then obviously as I grew older, my, my brother and sister, they kind of stepped aside from the arts. And it was me who took them on. Yeah. Um, but with arts such as, for example, um, sword arts, because yeah. there's not as much physical contact, yeah. but you are still being taught the empty hand application, you should still be able to use those techniques if someone took your sword away from you. Yes, them. yeah. So um, I would just say, do look into your area. There, will, there are so many more martial arts classes out there than people realise. Um, it's just because they're not advertised very well. And a lot of them, actually, many of them nowadays are taught by women. There's actually some mm-hmm. on the south side that I know of where I think it's, oh, I can't remember. I think it's actually a Shotokan class that's being taught on the south side, and it's taught by a female instructor. Yes, that's right. Yeah, in Shotokan's yeah. Academy. Yeah. Shotokan's Academy, yeah. yeah. And there's a couple of other ones that I've heard of you know, within the town centre as well, again, taught by women. So it's just do your research, have a look around, ask ask around and maybe ask some of the instructors even if they are male do you know of a female instructor or do you have maybe some female students I can train with sure okay then Marshall that's great I know that some of the terms you've been using to some people are not going to sound like rocket science but that's quite funny <laughs> because actually I'm a rocket scientist oh. <laughs> so um, no but I I was going to say you know as well as Marshall being uh, a keen martial artist I'm also a martial art uh, talented academic um, you, and your field is, I believe, is it, what do you call it? Um, well, so again, uh, I'm an uh, astrophysicist and aerospace engineer. Okay. And um, I'm a rocket scientist. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I basically, I, I studied uh, my degree in astrophysics and then I went on to do a postgrad in aerospace okay. engineering, space mission analysis and design. Well, don't get into that, what was that? What was that? Um, I'm not even sure how that started. I mean, to be honest, ever since I was like three years old, I was this chubby little fat kid running around, and I used to run around telling people I wanted to be a neurologist. I used to go around poking people in the head, telling them I wanted to fix what's in there. And it wasn't until maybe like my fifth year of high school when I was doing my higher physics that I had the most insane physics teacher who taught me just how much 
physics was enjoyable for me. Mm -hmm. And this is why, honestly, whether it's martial arts or academia, this is why having a good teacher makes a massive difference. Absolutely. It was because of Absolutely. him I really started enjoying it. So when it came down to putting my application down, it was either medicine, if I want to go towards neurology, or I put down physics. And I put down uh, both options, and alhamdulillah, I got a place for both. And it was a case of deciding which one. Should I go with what my brain's always said, or mm -hmm. suddenly what I've now started enjoying? But... I'm a person that goes quite a bit by my instinct, so yeah, sorry, brain, but I went with my instinct and I took physics and astronomy and I never looked back because it literally took me to the stars, I guess. Mashallah. <laughs> Mashallah. Uh, I mean, I know we can't talk too much about perhaps some of the, those aspects, but is, it, is that some, that's something that you've, uh, what, I mean, is that something that you want to a kind of long power in, in terms of being sort of a uh, Muslimer? Um, well, obviously, there's going to have been a many female uh, sci Muslim scientists before me as well. And this is something, again, I feel like we just don't hear much about because they do exist. Um, but I, I do remember during when it was my time in the university and my degree, there wasn't that many women in the class in general. And this is uh, also something I work on quite a bit because I am a STEM ambassador for gender equality. So STEM standing for science, technology, engineering and mathematics. So I try to promote it to more um of the younger generations, especially young girls and women. And, um, yeah, I used to be one of the only girls in my entire class, especially when it was in the engineering one, in aerospace engineering. I was the only girl in the class, let alone the only Muslim uh, yeah. female. I mean, do you, I mean, as a, just on a general point, do you think that's something that we're just not doing enough for promoting uh, positive role models for, uh, for girls and females? In terms of engineering and and the, the kind of uh, physical academic world, I mean, I mean, that, that, I, mean I just all I seem to see when I um, uh, switch over TV is on, on the internet is stuff about the Kardashians and you know, this kind of thing, and you know, and I, and I don't, um, you know, and I don't know if if, if body is <laughs> about it, but it used to be about it. There has been, especially within the last couple of years, there has been a, a very strong push towards um, introducing more and more girls with, into the STEM fields. Mm -hmm. And um, one thing I would work on, and uh, what you find is there's this thing that we call the leaky pipeline, where you would find that a lot of girls and young women go into the sciences and academia, but they just don't translate over into industry afterwards. There's this like cut-off point where you yeah. don't see it happening. And for, for a variety of reasons, and this could be another program completely, we yeah. yeah. <laughs> but basically, um, that's what we're trying to work on. And it's about trying to get them to realize that um, women, just as much as men, belong in the sciences or the engineering fields. Um, if anything, when you have somebody, you, you kind of need the input from everybody so you get an, a fresh angle from every perspective you can think about. And... Um, when it comes to something like, for example, yourself, I, I believe you said you were a GP. Oh, yeah, you know yourself. Um, it's so very important to have um, just as much knowledge on uh, when it, because gender does play a role, yeah. and you need to sometimes. Well, there might be some medications that work differently for men than they do for yeah. women. There might yeah. be some procedures that work differently, yeah. and this is why it's so important to have the input from each. So, and this is no different within the Muslim world. Um, when we have women like Fatima Al Fahri who. Uh, actually founded one of the oldest known and longest running universities in the world which is yeah. now in Fez in the Al-Karawin uh, University yes, um, I was actually there last year as well yeah. so much, it was yeah. beautiful um, but when you have um, women who did things like that 
and we look at what what we are nowadays because what happened um, again I, I know we're trying to keep this short so I'll try not to involve too much of this but we had the Islamic golden age as we were just discussing earlier and so this kind of spanned from maybe the 7th to the 13th century approximately and you had this was the, the time when the sciences and um, arts and just uh, all of this flourished during that time this was a time when Muslims were leading in terms of um, knowledge and the spread of knowledge throughout the world but it's also the exchange of knowledge which was a huge thing the trade of knowledge during that yeah, period was yeah. it was immense yeah. um, so what happened is during that time it was very much recommended that you know teach your your daughters and your wives you know educate them as well but after a certain point and a lot of people put it down to when you know, the caliphates kind of began <coughs> to end um, there was this quietening down and almost dumbing down of society mm-hmm. and this happened more so because of political corruptions mm-hmm. as opposed to the faith so when I have people ask me to, you know like yes but this was a long time ago that Islam was known for all of this and you know algebra and physics and mathematics came from the Middle East not now um, it still is there the, the, the want and the welfare is still there but what we need to do is revive that we need this revival of the of these arts of this of this uh, pursuit for knowledge yes. and yes. that's something that's so important which is what we need to translate to our younger generations uh, I mean, what I was thinking is obviously you're a mashallah practicing Muslim. Uh, how does your faith affect your, uh, let's say, your academic work or your job or even the martial arts? I mean, because at the end of the day, um, it's this this whole idea of the journey to success is not just about the journey in this world, but uh-huh. the journey to the hereafter and what this brings to us. So, how does that affect how you actually um, practice your? Uh, I suppose you're doing life, really. mm-hmm. uh, a different. Um, this is the thing. I, it can be you basically don't even realize you're doing it, but you need to learn to balance everything. And as you know, the the Prophet sallallahu would say, you know, um, live balance your life like you would balance yeah. the wings of a bird. You know, deen and dunya on one side and balance them well. So what you end up doing is you don't realize, but you time your day around your faith. And everything else mm-hmm. encompasses into that. So obviously, for that, for example, our template would be our salah times. Yeah. Um, and that can be, I can understand it can be quite difficult, especially when someone's got a nine-to-five job maybe and then they're doing other things too. And not every place has like a faith room or a prayer room and such. Um, but you actually, wonder, has that, has that changed in when you've been sort of growing up? Have you found that they have faith rooms there and work and things like yeah, that? Yeah, definitely. Right? I saw a lot of the companies that I've worked at, they've yeah. actually had um, um, like prayer rooms or faith rooms, as they would call them, because they get clientele who come from all over the world, and a lot of them come from the Middle East. So, um, Alhamdulillah, I was very, very lucky for that as well. And I also worked somewhere where we, I had like this. Uh, Huge modules right next door. <laughs> so I sneak over. Um, it was actually Central Mosque. Oh, right, okay. Um, but uh, what I do find is that in every aspect of my life, I try to always, I may always keep it. This may help me to um, excel more at it, but to incorporate my faith into things. And that's not just about, it might not just be about me wearing my hijab. Mm-hmm. It could be, for example, the way somebody carries himself. So, for example, when I would go into work, um, everybody, this is the same with my social life. I would, I'm very, I'm very easygoing. As you can tell, I can talk for the whole of Scotland, and everybody knows me for being kind of that talkative, happy, bubbly person. But they also know, without having me having to say anything, that I have these boundaries. That I'm not somebody who's gonna, you know, like 
going and kissing people over the cheeks and such, even though you know, others may do that. And uh, there's that kind of, without realising, they form a, a sense of respect almost, which is very heartwarming. But obviously this comes with its challenges too. I found myself discriminated against in some of the most intense ways you can imagine within the professional fields and I've had opportunities ripped from my hands because of it yeah. and whatnot. I've I've actually been to the point where I've had detectives involved and all sorts. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's it's a challenge but as long as I believe that as long as you was that surprised or was that something that you kind of half expected or was that um, this is the thing I think when you grow up in a non-Muslim society as a Muslim person you know it should never happen but you almost expect things to happen so you om- you somewhat keep yourself prepared but there will be times when it hurts even though you, even though you do bring yourself to believe that you know you're beyond all that and so you're not going to think about yeah. it so there was a, a time for example I put there was a bid going for a space contract with um, a company down in England who I won't, won't name here <laughs> but um and whereas a lot of the other candidates had like two weeks to prepare for this, I only had four days to prepare an entire mission concept out of scratch. And I was panicked, but I was like, no, I'm going to try my best. And I stayed up, you know, all night. I got all my resources. I did as much studying as I could. I tried so hard. And I remember going along on the day for, you, you'd have to do a contract, uh, sorry, an interview to get this contract bid. So, um, so I went along and... It went, alhamdulillah, it went really well, and usually organisations like this don't do this, but they actually pretty much said to me that um, we'll just let you know that you've done pretty well and we'll be in touch with you very soon about this, so basically telling you that you've got it. And I was, I was so thankful, I was so happy, and my parents had actually, what happened is my parents had driven me down to this interview yeah. because they were actually on their way to go see my sister anyway. So anyway, forward from there a couple of days, and I was at my... We were at home, and suddenly there's a knock at the door, and I answer, and it's a detective, and he's like, "Is your dad home?" And I was, I just got, "Why am I know him?" So he's like, "I'm home, but is there anything I can help with?" And he's saying to me, um, "Did anyone else have your dad's car uh, in the last couple of days, maybe?" And I said, "No, I don't remember anyone having it." So anyway, I had to call up my dad, and we actually went through a whole week of worrying and being stressed out because it took them a week to come back just wondering what's going on. So when they came back, um, they were saying to my dad, you know, sorry, did anyone have your car over the last couple of weeks or days? And my dad said to them, no, I mean, I went into the garage for like an MOT for an hour, but mm-hmm. other than that, no one's had my car. And he said, so you didn't take it anywhere. But that's when I remembered. And I said, dad, didn't we, we went down to, for my contract bid. And they said to me, where was that? And when I said the name of the town, they were like, yes, yes, there. And they said, what were you doing there? And I said, I told them um, I was there for uh, an interview. Mm-hmm. And the detective sitting in our living room smacked his head and he just shook his head, both of them. And he said, okay, we understand what's just happened now. And, oh. and I said, what, what happened? You can't leave, you know. What no, I can't see this is going. So what happened was, after I'd come out of my interview at the building, I um, decided, like, this is a very, this is a public area. There's no restrictions on taking pictures outside the building. So mm-hmm. I, I'd get out and take, because one of the, um, the companies there, uh, my, a, a colleague of mine had always wanted to visit, about a couple of hundred metres away at a bus stop, I took a picture with it way behind me. So I took my phone out, pointing backwards, way behind me, and there was people walking around on their phones. There's no laws about not taking pictures there. And it was just to say, oh, look where I am, you know, kind of thing. So basically, the detective said somebody uh, reported that they saw a suspicious-looking person. (laughs) A suspicious-looking person. 
um, within the area, and I and I said, what's so suspicious about me? Is it the new suit that I bought? <laughs> was it my my handbag? Was it my shoes? Or was it maybe this on my head? And because, but what happened was obviously to um, verify my alibi. You know, they'd have to call up the company and say, did this person come in for an interview? Mm-hmm. But then you tell me who would then want to hire someone who's got detectives calling up about them, yeah. Yeah. and I never heard from them. I, like I, I did call message back, like I'm. I've not heard anything back yet, and I was pretty much told, you know, I was given a good answer for this. And they said, uh, no, we're sorry, but we've had to make an amendment or a change to this, and all because one bigoted person out there decided they didn't know, like how I looked. Thing is, I, I 
I recently put stuff on my own YouTube channel, so I don't think it was that. But ah, okay. um, I, there's a few clips out there. I mean, there has been a lot of things that have gone viral online. Um, there's been a lot of videos. I have had videos made, um, for example, one to do with lightsabers. I also... They transfixed the lightsaber on it, so... Uh... No, it was an actual lightsaber. Saber, a lightsaber by a company in Australia, mm-hmm. actually, and uh, who are owned by a wonderful couple. And um, basically, these are lights. These are saber handles, and they have um, a kind of basically like a plastic yeah. um, blade on there with LEDs inside of it. But they are very durable, and you can use them for training. So the way they are tested to show you how durable they are is that they are dropped from four stories high onto concrete, and the light still stays on. There's no scratches, nothing. So I basically, um, with a videographer named Lee Fletcher, uh, we made a, a quick little clip improvising on the spot on the day in minus eight degree weather in um, in a castle in Mugduck Park. And we just kind of made this story. It's like a walkthrough story about this person who has the obstacles of visual impairment, but yeah. has to go from changing from one era to the other. So you see this my traditional swords being used in yes, there, and then yeah. it transitions over to the lightsabers. Oh, the you will see that their their Islamophobia is very real. You will see that there is this idea of, it's an ignorance where a lot of people don't don't understand. So instead they choose to um, ridicule or they choose to kind of question. Question, Basically, uh, according to them, it's like, but if she's living, the amount of times I've heard someone say, oh yeah, but try doing that in a Muslim country. And I'm like, actually I have, Scotland, which is like um, a 
feminist organization, yes. uh, which is part of the YWCA Worldwide Organization. And when a lot of people hear the word feminist, they get really scared. <laughs> right? I thought I'd, I thought I'd get uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing. It's because, I guess, because of the way people have thought about it and made it out to be, they think of what you would think of just with anyone, an extremist feminist. Yeah. But that's not yeah. what it, feminist tru- feminism truly is. We see it in Islam, where what you're taught is um, about treating men and women equal. Being equal does not equality does not mean that um, you get you have to give them the exact same product. It's how to get them to the same outcome. So, for example, uh, equality is this is this idea where you can have somebody that's five foot tall, mm-hmm. and you can have somebody that's six foot tall, yeah. but they have to look over a wall. But if you yeah. give them both a stool that's only a centimeter tall, yes. one will see and the other one won't. You need to Absolutely. give them both a means that they can both have the same outcome. Yes. That's where equality comes in, and that's what it basically is empowering both in a, in a positive way so as part of this organization um we do kind of work over at scottish parliament um to promote safe physical and digital spaces for all self-identifying women and um for example what we've been working on recently is uh, looking into um the issues of sexual harassment for young girls in schools because it is very um, common unfortunately and this also includes many girls within the Muslim community it's just within young girls who are in this community or culture mm-hmm. they're a lot more scared to speak up about it because of the taboo behind it and it's quite shocking I mean, actually part of my work as a GP I've actually come across uh, situations where people have actually been literally uh, assaulted and molested mm-hmm. and it's been posted online and this has happened from uh, you know uh, these uh, these youngsters or classmates mm-hmm. so it's quite a shocking thing it's something that you know I don't have to deal with growing up but um, I mean obviously I mean you could probably say a lot more about that um, it's Nowadays, um, I don't want to say nowadays, it's been there for uh, quite a long time. It's probably worse now, though, in some ways, because just because of this very... It is, a, it is unfortunately, a cultural mindset within many cultures about this boys will be boys idea, or, you know, kind of the idea that it's okay to put girls down, it's okay to put women down. But this is a reason why you will then not see many women in STEM in, in the sciences or engineering. It's why you won't see them believing that they are able to do more, because in their entire life they have been made to believe that they are basically the product of somebody else's um, whims. Yeah. They have to be yeah. treated the way other yeah. people believe them, and that in itself kind of goes against Islam, doesn't it? Especially, yeah. like, this is something for Absolutely. all even parents to think about. So whenever we do see, if you see your daughter coming home upset from school, it's okay to sit down with her and talk to her, ask her what's going on, but not in a, not in a finger-pointing manner, like you have done something wrong by doing this. Because the, the chances are she's going through a lot more than you realise, since nowadays it is a lot worse. So, um, so to say you apparently are, if you don't mind me saying, a bit of a geek as well. Uh, <laughs> and you're, you're into, as well as all the other stuff, you're into anime and, and comics, is that right? Yep. Um, so I actually helped start and um, found, found the uni- Glasgow University Manga and Anime Society for, yeah. for the university I was at. Yeah. Um, and that lasted like five years that I was there. I I actually spent that whole time there um, just running the thing. Um, but I've always been very active within this whole geek community. So whether it's to do with kind of um, comics and anime and uh, 
fantasy things or but this doesn't mean in any way I'm very careful especially when it came, comes to balancing my dean with it that yeah. I'm, there's no forms of shaping there for example okay, um, but also I'm very I'm an avid gamer I'm part of the gaming community so well. I want to ask you what do you think of uh, the Avengers uh, kind of um, practicing one I believe yeah. but basically what it shows is that um, 
they're beginning to incorporate into the genre that was never very much to do with Muslims or the Middle East or anything like that. They're beginning to incorporate more people into there. But this entire geek movement is becoming quite big now, even within the Middle East and in Pakistan, where you get conventions nowadays happening as well. You get in, you, in, uh, in I think it's Islamabad and Karachi and Lahore, you get conventions that happen. You've got Dubai Comic Con that's always happening. We have Scotland uh, MCM Comic Con coming up in September. Um, and you get tons in London and such as well. Uh, uh, the, the funny thing is, I, when I was younger, uh, I, I used to play <coughs> comics when I was a kid. Uh, so I'd take a home. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting in my cell phone bags. Uh, my wife's actually packed my wife over very nicely. Um, so yeah, she, she looks after me and my comics. So I'm going to these comics. But I remember when I was a kid thinking, there's no representation of me in any of this. Exactly. And also, I most often thought that well, this was a great expression to, uh, you know, kind of unleash your imagination. And I always felt that in our communities, we didn't have anything that, any kind of arena where we could do that. Yeah. Because it always seemed as if the arena, it was, there was something, something slightly sinful about it. Yeah, I think what it is, is when it comes to a lot of these genres, there are some, there will always be, and just just like with anything, there's going to be depictions of it that are unfortunately very controversial or something that we, maybe as Muslims, are not wanting to expose ourselves to, so we do protect ourselves from that. But you will also find that there are some that are very, for example, family-friendly. Yeah. Um, it's just about knowing which ones to look for and you know where to go to get those ones. And nowadays, they are becoming a lot more kind of child and family-friendly as well, especially mm-hmm. now that this, the kind of... the See, in our days, yes, in our days, uh, uh, being called the geek was always a bad thing because you were a minority, but nowadays it's become fashionable, it's the new trend, so you will find it becoming a lot more kind of uh, available to even children and young people. Okay, the motion. And not just uh, this whole set of uh, geek models, but you're actually quite an artist in terms of poetry and the visual arts. Tell us a little bit about that, because that's that's fascinating. Um, I, ever since... I was a kid, I've been writing poetry and I ended up with a collection of poems that kind of show the kind of the, the how a child's mind changes and morphs as they grow older. So it starts off kind of very happy and bubbly, then it goes into these very questioning years and to a more enlightened adulthood. Yeah. And uh, Alhamdulillah, quite a lot of them have been published in well known publications. Um, but I'm also a short story writer as well, and also a painter, so I'm known for painting, especially, um, like, for example, acrylic on canvas for, um, yeah. within, especially space or geek-related things. Yeah. So I, I like to incorporate space into quite a lot of what I do, is showing just how much I, I do admire it, <laughs> or just do enjoy it. That's absolutely fantastic, and I hope you see more of this, more of the artwork coming out, and, and, and actually what I'd love to see is more kind of, uh, kind of avenues where other people can learn from this as well and take part and participate. Inshallah. So, Inshallah. Um, again, thank you very much for uh, being part of Journey to Success uh, and being such an inspiring role model for not just the young ladies, but the young men as well. Um, thank you very much. So, thank you for having me on.